Five friends drive up to a remote cabin in the woods for a fun-filled getaway and accidentally stumble onto an archaeologist's recent find, the Necronomicon. When they play a recording of an incantation from the book, they unleash hell itself upon the cabin and themselves. As his friends are possessed one by one, Ash Williams becomes the last man standing and cements Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell's status as horror legends and pop culture icons in the film that started their careers, 1981's The Evil Dead. I'm Connor Izagari. I'm Kildre. And this is 2021's last episode of Filmgasm. Happy Wednesday, everybody, and welcome to the Filmgasm podcast. We're ending this year on a high note with a film that we've always wanted to discuss here. One that started a franchise that we both adore, The Evil Dead. The Filmgasm podcast began 2021 with Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, episode 118. Here we are with episode 169. We've covered some killer movies this year, but more about that towards the end of the show. For now, let's talk Deadites. So, do you remember your first time with The Evil Dead? Yeah, uh, a little bit. I remember, oh, you know what? I remember, I think it was on like IFC or something. I caught it on like a movie channel because I'd heard about it. Obviously, like, you know, when you're a burgeoning horror fan, you always hear about certain films. And this was one of those films you hear about all the time. And I think I was like, you're every commercial off IFC back when they did things without commercials and unrated. I know now they do, like, they changed how they do their thing. But back when they did it like that, which makes me sound fucking old, of course. Um, race real one of the movie channels was playing it and I was able to catch it. And I remember watching it and just falling in love and real and like really immediately clicking, like, this is why this franchise is so big. Okay. Um, because before that, the only real knowledge I have it was Army of Darkness, the third film, because my dad loved that one. I remember seeing it on TV with him. So that was it. That's what I thought the franchise was. Was like that. So when I went to go watch this one. I was like, oh, this is not like that movie at all. <laughs> and um, yeah, I've just been in love with it since. Like, I, this franchise is consistently good to me. I have yet to walk away at this point. I'm beyond excited for the upcoming one, Evil Dead Rise, especially because I heard it's going with the serious tone still, much like uh, 2013 did. And I'm just, I'm very excited for it. Yeah, me too. I had a pretty similar uh, trajectory with Evil Dead. I, as a kid, was terrified of horror movies. After I watched Evolution and Signs at the theaters, I was very much in the camp of, I don't ever want to be scared again. I don't, I don't want to do this. So I stayed away from horror movies. And uh, my dad was like, I don't, I don't like this. He's, he's got to learn. <laughs> and he showed me Army of Darkness. And showed me this movie that was horror, but also really funny. So it was like a safe space to kind of discover who I was as a film fan. And I loved it. It immediately became one of my favorite movies. And then from there, over the years, you know, I watched Evil Dead 2. I watched them backwards. And then I watched the first one, and I was very surprised to see how dark it was. I remember the scene where um, I think it was uh, Linda who gets stabbed in the ankle with the pen, by the pencil. Uh, that scared me a lot. As a kid, I don't remember why it was just like that part specifically freaked me out. And uh, yeah, I just, over the years, I just kept watching these and they just became favorites of mine. Uh, and like you said, you know, there's yet to be a weak link in this franchise. The remake was pretty good. The series was great. 
it's it's just awesome. Whoever's doing these clearly knows. Like Sam Raimi, obviously, but also Fetty Alvarez. He understood the tone and the flavor of this whole thing, and it it worked. But it all started here, like one of the most iconic indie films ever. Uh, so let's talk about it. <laughs> the Evil Dead began life in 1978 as a short film titled Within the Woods, which was a concept short that Sam Raimi developed as a sort of appetizer for the film he really wanted to make. Um, he showed Within the Woods to potential investors, uh, trying to raise enough money from family, friends, and pretty much anyone who was interested. Uh, didn't quite raise as much as he wanted, but he made it work. Uh, Raimi's childhood friend Bruce Campbell offered to produce the film and star as Ash Williams, a role that would defend or uh, define his entire career. Uh, Bruce and Sam grew up together in Michigan, and uh, Bruce actually put up his uh, family's uh, ranch as collateral. And I guess Sam was so touched by that that they've pretty much they've stayed in each other's careers ever since. Yeah, that's that's what I like about. It. I think that and it shows in this way in in their in both their respective careers because you know Bruce Campbell pops up in every single Sam Raimi film. Yeah, you know it was a fun thing when he was like a cameo in all three Spider-Man films, which had we gotten it the way it should have been, he would have been Mysterio. But you know, that's not what happened. Um, but you know, it's a friendship that you can tell on you can you can tell on in these movies, especially this, these first three films. And like how he, you know, Bruce Campbell was so willing to go the extra mile for Sam Raimi all the time. And even in Ash for Seal Dead, you know, he was willing to step to the shoes again and go that extra mile for him and do it again all these all these years later. And even um, you know, when they were talking about like the new movie that's coming out, you know, Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell and uh Robert uh Tappert, they all make sure that they actually vet these directors and like are you bringing a good a good ideal to this franchise because it means a lot to people so it's like their friendship is it's something you can tell in this film you can tell it throughout their career it's still very clearly <laughs> strong and also just a love for this franchise fact that when they do bring in this, these new directors they make sure that they're getting it right and they're doing something good that fans would fans would want to see yeah definitely i love that they care that, but I get it. You know, they developed this when they were in their like, you know, late teens. I mean, this was the evil dead has been there their entire lives, which is pretty cool. The fact that they've never been bitter about it. They never tried to distance themselves from it. If anything, they've been doubling down repeatedly their entire careers. It's wonderful. And we just get to reap the benefits of this friendship. Yeah, it's, it's great. And um, sometimes I, I know it can definitely have its issues. Like I know um, leading up to, Black Friday, a lot of people are like, hey, Bruce Campbell's not Ash, and blah, 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 blah. And it's like, yeah, he's a fucking actor, idiots. Like, he acts. It's his job. Watch fucking Burners for seven seasons, I think. It's like, how long that show lasted. He wasn't Ash in that show. I actually remember when I saw him, that I, I, I was a kid, so I went, hey, it's Ash. And I was like, no, it's this character. She watched Burners, like, mm-hmm. the whole way through. But I'm- it's like, Sorry. That's crazy. How, how are people really that disconnected? <laughs> I don't know. And I think people forget that he was on like Xena and um, Hercules shows in the 90s. Like he's been in a lot of other like really good shit outside of Evil Dead. But it's just mm-hmm. amazing that like he's in this horror comedy called Black Frank. We're like, oh, yeah. he's not Evil Dead. So fuck this movie. Like if you 
as far as I'm concerned, you're not really a true fan if you can't see beyond that. Like, if you can't accept him outside of this role, you're not a true fan. Like, you and you don't deserve to be a true fan. Like, you would be willing to accept, you know, encourage anything he does and at least give it a fair shot. You don't have to like everything he does. I wasn't the biggest fan of Burn Notice personally, but it was a good hey, it's a good thing that lasted for him for a while there. Well, I think that applies to pretty much anything. Like, if you can't separate actors from the work that they're in, like, I think about all those people who went ape shit on The Last Jedi attacking um, Kelly Marie Tran for the character she played in the movie. Like, what is wrong with you? Like, fuck off. These are actors. This is a job. It's, it's, it's remarkable to me. I'll, yeah. True fans are able to understand that this is all fake it, there's, there's no ramifications here like it's ridiculous well it's like even just like casual people like i was telling you about that one guy it's like asking if jake chonhaw was gay because he played and you know broke, broke back now it's like you know he's an actor right like they act they pretend for a living they are paid to do this yeah i don't know if you're aware of this but demons don't exist Time travel, not possible. Like, oh, God. And I've, uh, personally, I've met Bruce Campbell three separate times. And he is also super fucking nice, which is really good to know. Like, he's the coolest guy. He signed my S-Mart badge and told me to shop smart. And I about fell over. I I thought it was cool when we, uh, on one of those times when it was both of us, I got to meet him. Yeah. And we witnessed that one, uh, that uh, one dude run up to him after he waited for everyone to get done in line. And the one guy ran him said, Hey, Mr. Cameron, Mr. Cameron, my buddy's on the phone. He's a big evil dead fan. And he like, he's like, what's his name? And like, he grabbed the phone and said, Hey, it's Bruce Campbell. Like <laughs> he didn't have to do that. He was done. He was walking away and he took the time to do that real quick. Yeah. I love the guys who understand that like without the fans, they have no careers. And they embrace the fans and they respect the fans and they really go out of their way to know that like they do care about how much we've put into their careers. I, I like when when people recognize that. And Bruce Campbell's at the top of that. Like he's a class act, straight up. Oh yeah. The only thing you should never do, and it's totally understandable on his part, don't try to take something that was pirated to him to sign. So really? Yes. Uh, so uh, Josh saw the actual interview when he was watching Yorkie Thon where they upload the Bruce Campbell interview to the movie correct episode like that following weekend, Monday, whatever you want to call it. And um, so I listened to it through there. And uh, he brought up a time way back before Army of Darkness was even out in theaters. He was at a convention and Joe Lynch's friend, not Joe Lynch, because Joe Lynch was from telling it, had gone a bootleg VHS from one of the vendors and then asked Joe Lynch, like, his, you know, asked him, like, you think, you think I should uh, see if I'll sign it? And he was just like, you do you, man. I just, I have nothing to do with this. And he had the gall to go up there and ask him to sign it. And apparently Bruce Cameron just went, where did you get this? And he pointed, he's like over there and he just got up immediately and walked over and he goes, and he's like, hey, you, you did this? And I was like, yeah. And he, apparently the guy's like, you can tell the guy got nervous. Like, oh, shit. 
Whose camera broke the VHS in front of him and said, if you still aim all this shit, I'm going to kick your fucking ass. Wow. Like, he got angry. But I get it. I mean, you know, between, first off, like, you're, it's illegal. I mean, just face that it's illegal. Like, you, you're not supposed to be doing that kind of thing. But also think about, it, like, especially now, let's fast forward to Ash vs. Evil Dead. The reason that show got canceled was because it was the most pirated show. So, yeah, people were watching, but not on the channel it was on. They were pirating it. So it could have lasted longer. We could have had more fun with him and that character. But because people said, I'm not going to actually watch him. going to pirate and watch it later. We only got the three seasons that we got. They're great seasons. Don't get me wrong. But we could have gotten more. And so I completely understand where he's coming from. With my second one of the second time I met Bruce was at a showing of Evil Dead 2 in the woods. Um, outside, somewhere outside of Austin, which was so much fun. But before the movie, he did a Q&A. And during the Q&A, he was really trying to sell stars. He was really like, here's how you can download the app and do a free, free trial and you can cram all three seasons of this show into a weekend. Like, here's how you can do it. Like, he was really trying to get the word out there on his show. And I just felt so bad. And then by the time I, I met him the third time, it, it was already gone. And he was all, he was a little bitter about it. He was like, you guys weren't watching my show, were you? Like, was, I felt bad. Oh, <laughs> well, they were watching, just not the way they were supposed to. <laughs> oh, boy. And, and what's funny is everyone was like, oh, maybe like Netflix or Prime will pick it up. It's like, no, because he's done. Like, he's made that very clear that he's not playing the character. Like, the time is up. To, to be fair, Stars is not one of the big ones like if you like that would be the only reason i would get stars it it was a weird choice like i think it would have had a better show on like hbo or even showtime yeah but Damn. yeah no. that shit should have been shutter's flagship show well i don't think shutter was as big as it was since they didn't even have joe Bob back then like they were so trying to figure out like what they needed to do i know but if the timing had been right how beautiful that would have been oh dude if the timing had been right God, between like how they have now with Joe Bob and Creep Show, like they could have done Ash for Seal Dead, they could be doing Holliston, like they could be doing all these shows that I wish had lasted longer. Yeah. Carrying that torch. Well, we'll talk a little bit more about Bruce and Sam's careers in a bit here, but first a little bit on the production of the Evil Dead, which was a fucking mess. <laughs> um, these are all new, new people in the industry trying their best. Uh, everyone involved was new with this. Sam Raimi himself was only 20 when production started. He considered this like a rite of passage. Uh, they got lost in the woods numerous times. The makeup and costume were daunting and super painful. The, like the white eyes were like, you know, two inch plastic cups that were put into their fucking eyes. They couldn't see anything. And they had to like, you know, they can only wear them like two minutes at a time. It was the worst. Uh, but, I mean, yeah. Right. I was gonna say keep in mind, like as much as this production was hell for them, this is to me one of the reasons this franchise has endured, and especially like this first one, was that it is the epitome of like what you can achieve when you use every tool possible when you have no budget and you're having to figure stuff out on the fly. Like this is the definition of low to no budget filmmaking done so incredibly right. And all it takes is like a modicum of talent and a vision and a commitment to get it there and look at what you got like 
Oh yeah. I'm not at any way. Am I disparaging this, but it is worth pointing out that there are so many ways this could have gone wrong. There's so many ways somebody could have gotten seriously hurt. Somebody could have been killed. I mean, the actress who plays uh, Linda was blind when she was attacking Bruce Campbell with a real knife. So like, I mean, they use live shotgun shells because it was cheaper. Like this is, it's amazing. Nobody was killed. <laughs> oh man. But it is, you know, it's the ultimate low budget horror film story. It's, it's the, you know, the little engine that could of, of horror movies. Um, Ramey had help from Joel Cohen of the Cohen brothers in the editing room. This was one of his first professional gigs. And Ramey would later repay the favor when the Cohens were trying to sell blood simple. So, you know, they, they all kind of came up together, which is really cool. Yeah, not, uh, not the only thing that Remy found a way to uh, repay or homage, as we'll probably talk about with uh, a certain movie poster you see in the background, that would also end up with another nod, and I think the second film. Yeah, they yeah he has <laughs> a lot of respect for uh, for Wes Craven in these movies. I love it. Uh, so once the films ended up screening at Cannes in 1982, which was amazing, uh, they weren't allowed to compete, but they were allowed to show the movie which I thought was funny. Like, you don't get to be a part of the judging process, but if there's a free theater, go ahead. Sorry, movie. We know you, like, busted your ass to make this. <laughs> well, while it was there, who should happen to see it but Stephen King? And Stephen King gave this film such a rave review that suddenly everybody was paying attention. If Stephen King thought this thing was awesome, then, you know, this is probably awesome. And this was like peak King, if you will. Yeah, this was, you know, Coke in both nostrils, Stephen King. <laughs> like this was, yeah. <laughs> Coke in both nostrils, forgetting books that he wrote over a weekend and yet still becoming a New York Times bestseller almost every single time. Yeah. I think it's miraculous that he even remembered that he saw this movie. There's certain people in life in, in the entertainment industry that I hear their stories. I'm like, how are you still alive? You got your half, half the members of the Rolling Stones, but mostly Mick Jagger and Keith Richards, Ozzy Osbourne, like the fact that that man is 70 something years fucking old. Jesus. And uh, yeah, Stephen King, because you hear about your stories and you're like, how did this man survive the 80s? Not just that, but like he got rammed by a fucking van when he was like in his 50s and just you know spent some time in the hospital walked away bought the van beat the shit out of it and wrote that guy into his one of his books as an idiot like it's clearly god's a fan <laughs> god's like i'm keeping this one alive i need to know what other books he's coming out with <laughs> that's hilarious my favorite one is um it was after king wrote cujo he said, like, A, he didn't remember reading the book, but he also, like, wiped his finger on his desk, and it was just, like, a half-inch thick dust of, like, of a uh, layer of Coke dust. Like, just his whole fucking desk. And he had a moment of, like, I, I gotta stop this. <laughs> this, this shit's gonna kill me. To point out, he had kids at this time, so, and they talk highly of him as a parent, and I'm like, when when he wasn't coked out of his mind when oh my god <laughs> i'm saying Stephen king's a terrible person but like does he remember some of the things you're telling and you're like in, in your prefaces there mr joe hill like 
I don't know. Maybe they remember dad as being like, you know, playing in the background and running really, really fast, like pay, playing in the back, backyard, just being like, I never caught dad when we played tag. He ran so fast. I don't know. You know, you could be, I'm sure you'd be on Coke and still be a decent parent sometimes. <laughs> oh boy. If you ever want to see what Stephen King just coked out of his fucking gourd looks like, watch the trailer for Maximum Overdrive. It's, it's a thing of beauty. It's amazing. I'm, I didn't know anyone could open their eyes that wide. <laughs> he is so, <laughs> it's ridiculous. <laughs> Do you want to be really scared? <laughs> oh boy it's even better knowing how fucking goofy that movie is oh um, yeah but stephen king was instrumental in the evil dead success so we can all thank him for that um, yeah I, I love stephen king i'm glad he uh was instrumental in getting us what we got so yeah because his review uh suddenly new line cinema was like hmm maybe we should look into this and they worked out a deal with Sam Raimi to distribute the film domestically. And with New Line's help, uh, Raimi was able to pay back his investors, and the film became a huge hit, spawning a franchise that continues today. So it's all just like everything that had to go right did. It's awesome. You know, production went, you know, not smooth, but it worked out. Stephen King happened to see their movie. Some dude at Con was like, all right, fine, show it. Like, everything just worked out. <laughs> it was great. No, yeah, I mean, like I, like I said, it really does speak to, like, as far as the filming process, the ingenuity of, like, Sam Raimi, uh, mostly, because, like, you would, you can make the argument Bruce Cameron is going to come to his own until the sequel um, in this series. But thinking of things like the, the tracking shots that he does to mimic the demons and the fact that that's him running around with a fucking camera to get those shots and just shaking it as he's running like in the dark in the woods and look i i've been camping you can't see shit in the woods like it's a fucking miracle like so much of that film get made like you said safely especially in you know the unfortunate recent uh events or event that has happened in what i'm assuming was a much safer set but who knows maybe not based off what happened um yeah, it's a miracle. Like it got made and and turned out as good as it did, and launched so many people. <laughs> like so many crews got launched thanks to this movie. Yeah, it became you know everyone was like, well, if I can, you know, if, he, if they can make a movie on you know a couple hundred thousand dollars in the woods with their friends, like what can I, you know, maybe I could do it. And so many different people thought that, and we got so many different films and careers that were jumped off or inspired by the Evil Dead. It's, it's one of the most important films in history, as, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Like I said, it, it you know, it, it's to me, and I think for a lot of people, it's still the golden standard of what you can do at, at such a low budget, like what you can achieve with just using your own, you know, thoughtful, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Creativity to achieve what you need to and using the filmmaking techniques that you know and to an extent being knowing what you can break like what filmmaking techniques you can break because you have to know them to an extent to be able to break them and you know this film kind of shows that oh yeah big time i remember seeing a an interview it was on bravo's 100 scariest movie moments this was like number it was in the 70s or something and bruce campbell was talking about sam raimi's uh directing skill 
and how he used a lot of tricks because he was an amateur magician, Sam Raimi. And he used a lot of like, you know, tricks of the trade to move his camera in ways that a lot of people had never done. And it shows. I mean, you know, the camera zooming like, into the woods is a staple of this franchise. It's creepy. It's weird. You don't know what's on the other side of this thing. You never know. And it's it's awesome. It's still. Yeah, it's 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 cool to see, you know, kind of a budding genius at work with this movie. Yeah. And I think what's also cool to me, you know, not just of like the direction that's so just like to me, the direction like you you text me earlier, like it does hold up very well. Like the direction alone is very holds up. But also like the practical effects, like what they had to do to achieve a lot of these effects, like to me, still holds up. Even the stop motion stuff they kind of employed for the climax, it all still holds up. It all still looks great. Like they're uh, the pencil scene, it still like kind of makes me cringe because it just looks so painful. Um, and the way they go, like all that stuff, you know, God, I'm not good at math, so I'm not gonna try to do the years. It's probably like what a 34 something old movie by now. Um, here, let me do the math, please, because my math sucks. This year um, is the 40th anniversary of the Evil Dead. Okay, it's four years old, and it, to me, it still looks good. Hell yeah. If you all want to learn more about the production of The Evil Dead, I recommend reading Bruce Campbell's autobiography, If Chins Could Kill. Uh, he goes into how Evil Dead was made. Uh, and then also, it's just funny as hell. He's a great writer. <laughs> um, okay. I know there's a dark... There's, the dark man is not what you think, but those that held to the Dead Eye Supernatural Shutter, but that's more about the fandom around the series. And I, I'm in Maine to watch it, nonetheless, because I'm curious on that. Yeah, check that out as well. So Sam Raimi, let's go into his career just a bit. We covered this a, w- a few weeks ago on Spider-Man, uh, but let's do it again here. We're not going to just wa- do an Evil Dead podcast and not talk about Sam Raimi's career. Um, Sam Raimi would direct the next two Evil Dead movies, as well as the first Spider-Man trilogy, Darkman, which is awesome, Drag Me to Hell, one of, our, one of my favorite episodes we've done, The Quick and the Dead, Great Western, Simple Plan, haven't seen it, and Oz the Great and Powerful, which isn't great, but still not a terrible watch. He's set to direct Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness next year. Uh, super cool that he's going back to superhero movies. Uh, of his like of those movies, you know, besides Evil Dead and Spider Man, Drag Me to Hell is probably my favorite. That's yeah. a very cool movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, mainly, uh, yeah, I'd have to say the same. Uh, that has mostly to do with like I'm with you in that Oz. It wasn't bad. It was a fine movie. It was a, a decent enough time. Um, I haven't seen Dark Man yet. That's another one that I've been meaning to get to. Um, and I just got your uh, copy that you sent me of The Quick and the Dead. So eventually I'll get to watch that as well. I might actually make it like a double feature of Dark Man one day. That um, would be fun for you, definitely. Yeah. Uh, Dark Man is Raimi's film that he made after he was unable to do a Batman movie. So he created his own idea of a Batman-esque character named Dark Man, who, yeah, uh, Liam Neeson plays Dark Man. He's a, like, oh, it's been a long time since I saw it. He's a scientist who is, like, um, mortally wounded in an explosion that, like, you know, fucks up his face. But he survives and vows revenge and rebrands himself as Dark Man and uses like very realistic prosthetic masks to disguise himself as people. And it was, it's an yeah. oddball, but it's a fun movie. I, 
I've heard really good things. It's been on my radar to watch because of how like fondly people look on it. So it's it's been up there for me to watch big time. Um, but I do want to point out with his stuff is what I like is that if you pay attention, like a lot of what he does in Evil Dead aren't just ways. I mean, yeah, obviously ways to present the film in some way, right? And like the, the presentation and stuff. But a lot of it is stuff that became stylistic choices that he would carry over in future films, even if they want horror. Um, obviously, you see a lot of what he did here in Drag Me to Hell, you know, with the fast camera movements and a lot of the way he did his scares and his love for being as achy as possible with, like, things like embalming fluid getting on people. But, like, the Spider-Man trilogy, it, he incorporated a lot of, like, what he does with Evil Dead into the Spider-Man trilogy. Um, specifically, I'm thinking of the Doc Ock scene in Spider-Man 2 when Doc Ock for lack of a better word, awakens and just massacres all the doctors. Like that is a horrific scene yeah. in a movie. And I remember watching as a kid going, wow, this got scary all of a sudden. Like, and you know, like, cause he does, he does his like his shots, he does the quick zooms and everyone's screaming. And it's like it's a legitimately horrifying scene. So the fact that he he hasn't forgotten his roots and he constantly finds ways even in his more mainstream films and his later films to kind of give us to go back and do these quick little cool little nods to his early career where it'd be like like we said like Brian Bruce Campbell in almost all his movies and cameos um because I'm so I'm very curious on how Bruce Campbell is going to be in Doctor Strange because I I'm determined he's in fucking Doctor Strange um <laughs> but um from doing that to like I said like doing his stylistic choices and bringing them over into another movie where it's just for like a quick scene like Inspirement 2 like it's cool seeing that yeah it's awesome we talked a lot about that on when we did our Spider-Man episode particularly the the Doc Ock scene that you mentioned it's the most Sam Raimi part in all three of those films it's pure you know horror fantasy out of nowhere especially when the one doctor like you know grabs the bone saw and just like holds it up like that was like a Ah, come on. Um, yeah, it's great. Um, I, uh, I'm very curious to see what he does with Dr. Strange. I, I really want to watch a simple plan. I think it's like the only film of his I haven't seen. I haven't seen the gift either from the early two thousands. Um, I want to, I got to watch those too. Then I'll have cleared this guy. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm definitely curious, but like Dr. Strange, cause like Dr. Strange, Term I keep seeing around for, and I kind of I get it is like it almost feels like a full uh, circle film for him because it's not just him kind of coming back to Marvel and superhero and doing this time an MCU movie like you know he did Spider Man especially on the hills of Spider Man No Way Home and what we got in that movie um, come back to that but in a way he is coming back to horror because it's been heavily promoted as a horror superhero film and Marvel's foray and the horror so the fact that they they not, I mean, obviously, I know their original voice was Scott Derrickson, and he he dropped out for great reasons. But the fact that their immediate backup thought was about Sam Raimi, he's done the Spider-Man trilogy, he's done the Evil Dead, like he's done horror, he's done superhero films. Why not get him to do this? And the fact that he agreed makes me kind of go, okay, cool. Let's see what Sam Raimi has to do with this. I love the fact that he has had his Oldsmobile in every single film he's ever done, like. Even in the quick and the dead, it's like the he cut it in half, and the bottom part is like a cart or a wagon going through town at one point. 
Like it's it's awesome. I, I love that he's done that. It's Uncle Ben's car in the Spider-Man trilogy. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. It's just this Oldsmobile he's had since the first movie just keeps fucking popping up. It's that and Bruce Campbell are his mainstays. Yeah, like one's to get than the other. <laughs> I feel like it's easier to get Bruce than it is to get the car. Yeah. Uh, speaking of Bruce Campbell. Became an indie film star with his role as Ashley Ash Williams, the ultimate groovy, badass, dead-eyed slayer. Campbell would play Ash in the next two Evil Dead films, the Star sequel series, a brief cameo in the remake, and four video games. He is, to date, the only person who has ever played Ash Williams. He which is beautiful. Be the only person that played Ash Williams. Whatever happens, like, when these people have long passed, right? With the franchise, because I mean, undoubtedly, the franchise is going to keep going without them. Like, it's just how Hollywood works. Yeah. Um, if you don't think of how it works, look at SpongeBob. They weren't supposed to do spinoffs. SpongeBob voice actor died. Next thing you know, like five fucking spinoffs came out. It wasn't the voice actor, it was the creator of the show. Well, the creator, but, I'm sorry. But your point stands. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. I fucked that up. But yeah, they literally waited till he died. So, you know, it's un- it's going to happen. Um, all I can hope is that they never, ever try to get a new Ash Williams. Like, if anything with 2013 Evil Dead and hopefully this new one prove, this series can go on without having him be the main character. I agree. The character and the actor are just too melded together for it to work with anybody else. And I really hope everyone acknowledges that. Um. Campbell has also appeared in the original Spider-Man trilogy, the TV series Burn Notice, Escape from L.A., Sky High, Bubba Hotep, The Hudsucker Proxy, Maniac Cop, Congo, My Name is Bruce, and Black Friday. Guy's got a hell of a fun career. I think, you know, he's definitely, I think he picks projects based on how fun they sound. I bet that, I think that's how he does it. And um, yeah, his his resume is pretty good. Uh, I really... My name is Bruce is such an underrated gem that I don't think a lot of people know about. It's such a cool movie. Have you seen My Name is Bruce? Not all the way through. I, I've been meaning to watch it all the way through. I just kept coming in on like bits and pieces when I was on TV. And I was like, oh, fuck. And he's his like from beginning then. It's basically, guys, if you haven't seen this, it's Bruce Campbell playing a fictionalized asshole version of himself whose career is in the shitter. <laughs> and uh, this kid kidnaps him, hoping somehow he can help his town fight off an actual demon. And he does—he's he, not good at it. It's—it's—it's it's, it's really funny. There's a uh, you know Ted Raimi's in it. Um, various Evil Dead alumni have cameos in it, and it's very tongue in cheek and definitely for the fans. Nice. So I'm gonna look at my pants because I just realized I'm wearing my Evil Dead lounge pants. I actually did not plan this. nice so here we are i am currently rocking my wiseo acting school (laughs) t-shirt which i just fucking love um so let's talk about the rest of the cast uh obviously bruce campbell's the most the most notable name here but the rest of these guys we're talking about for a bit um ellen sandweiss plays ash's sister cheryl she would reprise her role in the series Ash vs. Evil Dead and also appeared in My Name is Bruce and Oz the Great and Powerful. And she's um, also going to be, I'll just say this so you don't have to say for every single one, but all coming back for the video game, for the upcoming one. Woo! That's great. I love that. Yeah, I cannot wait for that fucking game. 
that <laughs> Texas Chainsaw Massacre. If you would have told me, like two even two years ago, like, hey man, you want to have a year where you get an Evil Dead video game and a Texas Chainsaw Massacre game? I'd be like, yeah, okay, sure, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Richard Demanincore plays Ash's friend Scott. He was also in Crime Wave and two short films. That is all. Crime Wave is the an early film that Sam Raimi and the Coens worked on together, and it is fucking horrible. I couldn't make it through it. I tried to watch it for the Coen Brothers uh, Spotlight episode on the Filmgasm podcast a few years ago, and I couldn't make it through. I made it 20 minutes in, and I'm like, this is fucking horrendous. I turned it off. <laughs> I, I haven't seen it, so. Yeah, don't bother. I um, look forward to his upcoming appearance in the Evil Dead game. <laughs> Betsy Baker plays Ash's girlfriend, Linda. She's made a career out of bit parts in various TV shows, uh, but she did have a major role in the miniseries Sharp Objects. And as Caleb said, she is reprising her role for the video game. Um, Teresa Tilly plays Scott's girlfriend, Shelly. She hasn't done much else, but she did appear in Oz the Great and Powerful alongside her Evil Dead co-stars Ellen Sandweiss and Betsy Baker. They all have a bit part in Oz, which is cool for Sam, Sam to do that. Yeah, I, I, I don't even know what parts they played. It's been so long since I've watched that movie. I saw that movie in Ireland, and then I never watched it again. <laughs> Not because I hated it. It just was so forgettable. I just hadn't really wanted to. I mean, if I'm gonna if I'm gonna go to Oz, I'm gonna watch The Wizard of Oz. <laughs> uh, the Evil Dead has an IMDb score of seven point five, Rotten Tomatoes score of ninety five percent. It's rated NC seventeen. I didn't actually know that till uh, today. It's pretty cool. Uh, I feel like yeah, there's not a lot of those. Well, I mean, it, it's so like I don't know if you know too much about like the MPA MPA. Sorry, it's not MPAA anymore. The MPA and them trying to for a long time come up with a rating above R, but it's a really interesting history there because they used to just do unrated, like it was like R and unrated, but then they were like, well, we have to give it something because they like the unrated sense sit well with them, so they tried doing X, just one X. But when they did that. Was, I think they're in the 70s boom of like the golden age of when you could just go to a fucking theater and watch porn and it was normal. And all those films, for anyone who wants some little porn history, because I know nowadays you just get on fucking Pornhub and what and whatever other sites exist. Um, movies back then, if they were porn, were rated triple X. That's where that comes from. Well, obviously, <laughs> MPA was not okay with the X rating then. because they're like, well, wait, we don't want to confuse it with those types of movies. <laughs> so then they finally came up with NC-17, which I think was around the time Evil Dead came out. So that's why it has it. Cool. I always just thought this was an R because, you know, two and three are R's. And you don't see a lot of NC-17 rated films. It So, like, it's really weird. Um, So Adam Green, when he did Hatchet 2, they actually did release in theaters unrated. Like, it had, it was, like, be on it but it lasted a week because people cried a foul and theaters made it difficult because for them theaters will not advertise nc-17 films theaters will not will limit extremely the theater and showings of an nc-17 film so it's like it exists it's a rating that's out there but theaters will not play ball with that rating 
Makes sense. I mean, you know, there's a very limited amount of people who are going to go see that. You're not going to make your money back on it. I get that. I, mean, I don't I agree would, with it, but I understand why they do it. I would have seen Hatchetina theaters. I was like, it's unrated. Oh my God. And then it lasted a week. And I was like, never mind. I guess I'm not seeing the theaters. So having, having used to work in a theater, I understand like the process now is entirely dependent on children. Like PG you know, and PG 13. That's what makes the most money because people are going to take their kids so they can watch minions and shut the fuck up for an hour. But yeah, but you know, R rated movies do make money just, not usually as much as like a kid's movie. Yeah, but you shouldn't like no offense. I'm not trying to be rude to kids. Like you shouldn't judge it based off just children. Like go fuck yourself. Like make a good R-rated film. Let the adults have something to watch. And I mean Deadpool should have proven that yeah, you can make it right on. It's gonna make fucking money if it's as long as it's good and people want to go see it. Well, it also depends on the area. You know, if you've got an area with a lot of families, theaters are gonna prioritize family movies. And the one I worked at was very much a family theater. There's other draft houses in, you know, in the area that showed a lot more, you know, hardcore shit, showed a lot more R-rated movies. I always had to go to a different draft house for horror movies. I rarely saw a horror flick at my draft house. Uh, but, you know, it is, it is what it is. And I think it is interesting that I've never seen a screening of The Evil Dead, like, advertised at one of these theaters, but I have seen Evil Dead 2 and Army of Darkness multiple times. Well, because again, the rating, like... Still, to this day, still. Yeah, it's, it's that's what I'm saying, like, it's astounding, like, and honestly, like, nowadays, like, this could be an R-rated film, like, there's nothing that extreme in this movie. It really isn't, I mean, and also, don't people research what they fucking want to watch? Don't people just, like, if you can't handle this stuff, don't you look up a trailer, a synopsis, something, and think, I probably shouldn't watch this, this isn't, this isn't for me? Do people just not do that? No, people stop doing that. They want, they want to, they want to make. I mean, look at like Deadpool. In fact, that you said that the trap house had to put up signs saying this is not a Marvel movie. Do not take your kids. And people still took their kids. They like, still, they still complained about it too. They still were like, yeah. "How dare you do this? Like it's our fault." Yeah, they still complain. Or the fact that like, how many times do you hear about in the news some parent bought a fucking embryoed game for their kid and then they're bitching about the embryoed game? Usually, every time a new Grand Theft Auto happens, it's, there's always one story. Um, and it's like, do you, like, be a parent. Be a fucking parent. Pay attention to what your kids are watching. Pay attention to the ratings. They exist for a reason. I get it. I'm not big into censorship myself. I think films just be released the way they are. Yeah. But the ratings, I do think, have a good, are a good way as a parent to decide what's okay for your kid to watch. Because you can easily just suddenly be like, no, it's radar. I'm not taking my fucking nine-year-old to go see this movie. Like, Well, it also needs to be said continuously because just people aren't fucking paying attention to this. And they never have. It is your responsibility as a parent to determine what you want your kid to see or play. It has nothing to do with the filmmakers. It has nothing to do with developers, actors in the movie, the dude at Target who sold it to you. None of it's not their fault. It's not their problem. It is your responsibility. If your kid gets a hold of Grand Theft Auto, most kids, you know, between the ages of like eight and 14, don't have 60 bucks just lying around. You bought them that game. You didn't vet it. That's on you. And same with horror movies. You didn't find out what this was about. Your kids saw it. You're upset about it. That's on you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Movies, guess what? Get on IMDb. They will tell you exactly why that fucking film's rated R. 
YouTube has trailers of every movie ever made. <laughs> you can find usually, out there what this yeah, is going to be about. Usually the ratings plastered on there. Um, video games are even better. Video games are amazing about it. All you got to do is flip it to the back and it's going to have the fucking rating and exactly what's in that game. To yeah. get that rating. And yet people always deflect responsibility. They're always like, you know, people shouldn't be making this stuff. People shouldn't be selling this to kids. Like, no, just put a, put some fucking effort into it. No, they can make what they want. You need, you need, like, look, so like, for example, like with uh, Josh's kids, when they're here, I don't watch what I usually watch. Because I'm not, I'm not saying, oh man, why do the creators have to make like, like, why does Yellowstone say fuck all the time? I don't give a shit. I just know like, oh, his kids are, okay, I'm not going to watch it around them because they say fuck. And they like, and they occasionally have sex in that show. It's not often, but it happens. Um, and it's like, see, it's it's that it's that simple. I just, I go, hey, they're going to be here. This show has this commentary in it. I'm not going to watch it around them. Ain't that fucking difficult? Yeah. Fair enough. And I don't you know. Maybe it's just you know, I I didn't grow up with a lot of restrictions. I didn't have you know, I had M-rated games as a kid. I had horror movies as a kid. I watched a lot of R-rated shit. But I didn't turn out to be a psychopath or, you know, some kind of a danger to society because I knew it was it wasn't real. Yeah. And well, it's that easy, really. Well, yeah, and that's where the parent part comes in. Like you teach your kids it's not real. Yeah. Like I swear, like, yeah, if your kids playing Grand Theft Auto, let them know like you can't just grab a hooker, fuck them, and then kill them for money. Like you can't do that in real life. You can do it in Grand Theft Auto all day. Like there's no repercussions in Grand Theft Auto, but don't do that in life. You can do it in real life probably one time. But it won't end well for you. There's no respawns in life. But um, yeah, it's just, it's just a whole... I hate when people deflect responsibility and just don't own up to their own mistakes. And it happens at that in that situation all the fucking time. It has since film and video games were invented. Huh. There's always been somebody trying to suppress it. Yeah, The only time a parent has any say so is when the theater does actually fuck up and show like a horror film in place of the kids movie that was supposed to be for that showing in that and case I, I, you've I, got every right to sue to bitch that's yeah 100 percent. that's that's in that case yeah that's one of some theater grant those cracked me up like i think one i read was like i forget what the kids movie was but i remember the- exactly what happened this is uh it was frozen and there's a 2010 horror movie called frozen that has to deal with like people trapped on a ski lift or something like that. And they accidentally yeah, started crazy. playing that movie. <laughs> I was in, that's not even the worst. So I forget what the kids movie was, but I remember when the Hills Have Eyes 2 came out, the whole opening of that movie is a very graphic birthing scene. And then the woman getting bashed graphically to death after. Shit. <laughs> I forget kids movie, that scene played for what was supposed to be a kids movie. And apparently parents were furious they're like what the and i'm like man i would have hated and no, look don't worry, like hills of ice 2 sucked like it's not a good movie but like i would have been pissed if i was like being like guys hills of ice 2 let's do this and all of a sudden he kissed me playing i'm like what the fuck <laughs> <laughs> i didn't even think about it from their perspective like all these dudes like super pumped to watch the new hills of eyes and all of a sudden like fucking happy feet comes on <laughs> and you're like what happened and you can just hear the kids screaming down the hall <laughs> I'd be rushing out. They'd be like, "Oh yeah, let's go see what's going on here." <laughs> I remember reading about one instance where the trailer pack got mixed up, 
And some kids movie got like one of the saw trailers before it. <laughs> and people were like, ah, no. <laughs> I, uh, I love cosmic accidents like that. I've been watching fucking Incre- Incredibles 2 or whatever it is. If it's Halloween, it must be Saw. And then Walt Disney Studios. <laughs> Nobody's thinking about Pixar anymore. <laughs> Mom and dad have to answer a lot of weird questions over the next hour. Yeah. I think that shit happened with Hostel also. I think someone mixed up like Hostel with a kid's movie. Jesus Christ. It's oh always my God. a horror film with a kid's film. It's funny as shit to me. I'm like, it has to, this can't be an acting. Like someone's fucking around, doesn't want their job anymore. It's like in Fight Club when Tyler Durden was hiding dicks in the film. Like, it's, it, that's what's happening. Some disgruntled dude is switching the projectors. <laughs> in that uh, early 2000 torture porn was just the best yeah. era for him. He's like, oh, fuck, all these fucked up movies coming out. Oh, yeah. Take, yeah. take it from me. Th- movie theaters pay shit. So I get it. <laughs> Most shows pay shit. That's why we have a labor shortage. Yep. <laughs> It's going to be a lot of dicks and a lot of different things over the next couple of years. <laughs> um, <laughs> so the Evil Dead grossed almost $3 million on a budget of around 375000 which is fantastic. Uh, it spawned Especially two sequels. Hmm? Especially in 81, I believe. Yeah. And adjusted for inflation, that's, that's special. That's good money. And that's not even yeah. counting the residuals and the merchandise and all the fucking you know, millions this film's made since then. Mostly the re-releases, like I have the Blu-ray, but uh, Josh has the fucking 4K re-release of it. So like that right there, like yeah, I've got a uh, a British uh, steelbook variant that I stumbled upon that actually works on my player. So I've got a nice one. Looks yeah, cool. and then like what is it? They just came out the Groovy Ash set that looks really badass. Like true, yeah. but there's no Army of Darkness. That was really weird to me, but I think it's because like Army of Darkness has like a weird history. Like as we kind of, I know eventually we'll get to all these films. It has a weird history because it's like actually like the only major studio backed. Well, technically, I guess it was twenty thirteen was studio backed, but like at that time it was the only major studio backed one, and they I like they called it Army of Darkness as opposed to Evil Dead Three. Which sometimes bugs me when people are like, oh, they're going to do Evil Dead 3 or Army of Darkness 2. And I'm like, no, it's going to be Evil Dead 4. Like, I've, I've actually had to like arguments with people and they're like, Army of Darkness doesn't connect to the Evil Dead. I'm like, no, it's the third movie. I, I think they changed it to Army of Darkness to get it to sell. I think that was like a big, I, I, I would have to relook it up on why I even got titled that. I looked it up a little bit. It's a um, Sam Raimi owns the rights to Ash and the Deadites. But New Line owns the rights to the Evil Dead name. Okay. So Army of Darkness was not New Line. It was Sam Raimi, but he couldn't call it Evil Dead. Right, and he did it with Universal instead. Yeah. So that's what, And uh, De Laurentiis. Yeah. And that's why Evil, the, uh, Ash vs. Evil Dead never once mentioned Army of Darkness. It's why Ash doesn't work at S-Mart. Like, that's why. And it really bugs it bugs me because I wish all this shit got to you know be comfortable with the family reunion. You know what I mean? Yeah, it, it can be you know because like like I said, I didn't even, like yeah like it's the fact that they always have to kind of ignore it in the wider reach of the franchise and um and like I said, the fact that people out there are just like oh are they ever going to do Army of Darkness too? And I'm like you mean Evil Dead Four? Because that's what it would be. It'd be the fourth Evil Dead movie. 
Yeah, it, it just confuses people. <laughs> it's like if Elm Street 3 was just called Freddy. Yeah. And then, like we said, you got this kick-ass box set that includes the first film, the sequel, Ashford's Evil Dead. I can't remember if it includes the 2013 film. I don't think it does because it's the groovy Ash set. Yeah. But it doesn't include Army of Darkness because of the whole rights thing. Like, there's just nothing they can do about that. I don't even want it. Like, if, it's not, if Army of Darkness isn't there, I don't want it. <laughs> yeah, it's frustrating. So, Evil Dead ended up spawning two sequels, a TV series, a 2013 remake, four video games, and a legacy that speaks for itself, which is just beautiful for some kid's kind of student film. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, yeah, like I said, there's, there's a reason this film is going to stand for a lot of um, young filmmakers and a lot of uh, people trying to get breaking into the business like this to me this is like the going standard what you can achieve yeah absolutely all right so let's go through evil dead talk about some highlights of the film itself uh why don't you start oh you want me to start uh no so first i want to say like i know obviously now horror has become very well known for cabin in the woods equals bad things. This was like kind of like one of the earlier ex- like examples of that. Like what really kind of like trendsetted that. Yeah. Um. So I love I love the location. I love the use. I love how at the beginning you see they do the the camera track which I was mentioning earlier at the beginning. So you know right from the bat something's not right when they're going into uh into there. So I like how there's there's a good sense of foreboding, a good sense of atmosphere like right off the bat. Well, something's not right with this cabin they're going to. Yeah, definitely got that sense, especially when something grabs the steering wheel and tries to hurl the car into the truck and, and everyone just kind of shrugs it off. It's like, I guess you didn't get that vehicle tuned as well as you said you did, Ash. Well, they Ashley. They keep calling him Ashley in this one. I love how in the show, like his dad points out that like he called him that to make him like tougher. Like fucking boy named Sue, that Johnny Cash song. That's <laughs> his dad was just a complete asshole. I was like, okay, this all makes sense. It was Lee Majors, the six million dollar man. Like that was perfect. Um <laughs> anyway. Um yeah, the set design is impressive considering they just kind of found this cabin. <laughs> Like it's impressive because uh, I mean the cabin itself has become so iconic with the franchise. Like I remember that was one one of the things about the 2013 film was like you better get the cabin right when that was announced because fans will riot. <laughs> I wouldn't. I would have been like, well, let's see what they they have to offer here. But you know, I know a lot of hardcore fans were swimming like the cabin's not right. Blah, 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 blah. So yeah, and if I was if I owned something that was like beloved. I would go out of my way to irritate those fans. Like I, the people who like, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd write a good story. I'd make, I try to make a good movie, but I do little things just to piss off the people who are constantly up my ass. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, technically you can, you could arguably do that with the fact that they haven't done a comedic evil dead since army of darkness. There was the show. I mean, okay. Other than the show, I mean like the movies, because most people, when they think evil dead, they want, they want evil dead too. That's what most fans want. But if we keep getting Evil Dead 1, which is what I'm big into, and I'm like, yeah, no, give me Evil Dead 1. Give me that intense R-rated <laughs> goodness. 
when they get to the cabin, they're all kind of like, well, this kind of sucks, but let's make the most of it. Woo. And uh, Scott is kind of a dick because well, let's be honest, his name's I've met a lot of good Scots. <laughs> it's just one of those names. That can that statement can go like one of two ways there. <laughs> I don't know a lot of good Scots. Are you talking about name or the uh, people? I love Scotland. It's people. I pe- dudes named Scott traditionally, in my experience, have not been great dudes. <laughs> it's like you know Keith and like there's certain names they're just connected. I don't know. Whatever his name's Scott. And he's a dick. Yeah. Um, I think uh, don't don't they even talk about like how he ended up with this cabin? Are they like, hey, how do you end up with this cabin? I don't know. Yeah, he's like, it was cheap. And they're like, why? He's like, I guess we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you will see. You will find out. Who'd they buy it from if nobody's dead? <laughs> that is a solid question. <laughs> um, so they go in, yeah. They're getting a little, you know, freaked out by the wind and everything. And Cheryl, who is there as a fifth wheel. Um, why? If it's a couple's weekend, why would you bring your sister? Who's clearly alone. It's probably, I guess, to be nice. You're trying to be a good brother. I, I guess. Come to this cabin where you're just going to hear the two couples fuck. And then you're just going to sit there like awkwardly like, oh. <laughs> I think the brotherly thing would have been to just maybe leave her at home. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, they check out the basement where Scott makes a big deal out of freaking them out. And him and Ash find the uh, the recording and the book, which isn't actually called the Necronomicon in the first movie, which is odd. I forgot yeah, I about think, that. Yeah, I don't think it's called that till the second movie. It's called like the Necrom or something like that. Or, or totem, I don't know. It's a really long. I, I, in my notes, I have it as Necronomicon with exclamation points. Yeah, I have it just Necronomicon. It's, it is what it is. As far as I'm concerned, I, I love, I like the first Evil Dead, but everything that I love about Evil Dead came out of two and three. Like, but you know, the first one's still awesome. Uh, oh, yeah. So they find the book, they bring it up. And they start playing the recording of Professor Noby, who's just an unnamed archaeologist in the first movie, talking about his discovery of the city of Kondar and the demon text that, that he discovered. And he's like, I love that he's like, here, you know, in this book contain incantations to resurrect the demonic forces of this place and wreak havoc upon the world. And here are the translations. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Don't read this, but I'm going to read it out loud and you just have to listen. <laughs> oh, it makes me laugh. And of course, they start playing it and Cheryl stops it like, I don't know if we should be doing this. And Scott's like, come on, man. It was just getting good. <laughs> and she's like, I don't want to hear it anymore. And he's like, well, tough. And presses play anyway. And unleashes hell. Yeah. Scotty, Scotty doesn't know. Scotty doesn't know. Different context, but I'm applying it here. <laughs> oh boy! And I'll, yeah, Cheryl gets pa- panicked and runs. And Ash is like, "What the hell, man? Like, she said she didn't want to hear it." And he's like, "Fuck you! You could have turned it off." Like, he's just the worst person. 
It really is. I don't, that's the one thing with horror that the older I've gone, and you know, I've, I've lived life a little bit longer and made friends, and I'm like, why does horror insist on like every friend group has that one asshole? Because that's not friend groups. Like, usually the assholes get booted out really quick. Yeah, I never understand people who just like let the dick kind of just swing freely. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, why is he yeah. here? Yeah. He's bumming everyone out. He's a he's a complete asshole. You cut that friend out and you enjoy your party. I'm glad you said Frank. When you said let the dick swing freely, I'm like, if he doesn't say any <laughs> other word, this also gets really weird. I just felt that was the perfect metaphor for, for, for the situation <laughs> at hand. <laughs> But yeah, you know, movies kind of imply that every friend group has that one asshole that you don't want to invite, but you do anyway, which is like, why would you, why would you do that? Which is, yeah, the complete option in real life. Usually you don't invite them and then they quickly want, oh, I'm the asshole. And it's like, yeah, that's why we don't invite you. Yeah. I've never had an asshole friend because I don't make friends with assholes. <laughs> I don't keep them around. If you make my life more difficult, you're not part of it. It's very simple. <laughs> Pretty easy. Pretty easy yeah. life to live. I don't know. Maybe you know Scott saved his life at one point, or they're on the basketball team. Are they in high school or college? I don't know. He he, he has like a blood oath term that we don't know about. <laughs> I don't know. I think Ash just wants to bang his girlfriend. I mean, that would probably make the most sense. Ash just wants to bang all of them, minus his sister, because that's just weird. Um, and this is not a Pornhub fucking movie, so I don't know <laughs> why that is still one of those trending fucking things, but whatever. Um, That's like the fourth or fifth podcaster you somehow have needled the like brought the conversation around to that. Clearly, you want to talk about it. No, I just like bringing that up. <laughs> oh, so. It works every time. Um, I do like, real quick, in this scene, this is when it begins with the um, the nods that him and Wes Craven would make in their movies. Because when they look in the basement, it's very clear, especially if you watch in the highest possible quality there is, which now, apparently now is 4K. Um, the, uh, a little bit of the Hills of Ice poster is in the background. Which again, it's cool because Wes Craven noticed it, and I, it's inspired. But he did make a reference to it in a movie, a movie right after that, and then you see the Freddy glove and Evil Dead Two, so they had like a nice little thing that started with this film. That's nice. That's cool. I like when geniuses pay homage to each other. A tip of the hat to you, sir, and a wag of the finger to you. It's nice. <laughs> Uh, so now we get to the most controversial scene in the movie, which is when Cheryl is fucking raped by the trees. Uh, I, yeah. So I put tree rape in my notes. I almost put exclamation marks because I kind of look forward to the scene because it's just a so out there scene that it's just like, what is happening? I okay. Yeah. Realize where I said I realize what came in my mouth. I'm not taking it back. I'm I'm going. I'm going. I'm just going to. Plow forward. All right. Yep. Let that dick swing freely. Um, it's it's a rough scene to watch, 
but it does immediately let you know that this is a this is gonna be fucking weird. This is not your average demonic possession. This isn't a zombie movie. This is weird shit from Sam Raimi's head that can only exist in this weird little bubble of a universe that he's created. Yes. And if anything, this is probably why I got an NC-17 back in the day. Um, yeah, a tree lamp, a tree, tree lamp, tree limb, just shoving its way up there. No, but, <laughs> no, uh, no rating system is going to prepare the MPA for that. No, but you know what? I, I don't feel weird saying this is an iconic almost scene of the film. It's a very well-known scene from the film, and I oddly enough do look forward to it. Um, because I remember when they were doing the 2013 Evil Dead, they were adamant that they were going to put the tree rape in the new one, and they did. And dear God, did they go further with it? Yeah, it's weird that tree rape's been tied to this franchise almost three times. It almost happens in Evil Dead too. Also, yeah. Um, but uh, I mean, you got straight up zombie rape in Part Three. Oh I- yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's a lot of rape in this franchise. You forget about that. And Sam Raimi came out and said he regrets putting this in the movie. And uh, Bruce Campbell regrets that scene where he just starts slapping his girlfriend. It's interesting <laughs> Sam Raimi says that, but again, they were adamant about putting it in the 2013 movie. He regrets it, but he has done something similar in every single movie since. Yeah. <laughs> I remember the Red Man even hinted at it. Like, that was one of the big parts of the Red Man. It was like, hey, guys, look. And you see it, like, start sliding. You're like, oh. <gasps> Think back. Was there any sort of like anything like this in the show? Not that I know of. No, I don't. I don't. I think he kept out of the show. Okay, I'd like to watch that show again. Those, those were great. I picked up the complete uh, set, like the the Blu-ray has like all three seasons. I picked that up. I bought them individually when they came out, just because I was like, I want this. <laughs> so I've I've got all three seasons on their own. Um. The first season has like a cool holographic cover. It's nice. Um, so yeah, Cheryl gets raped by trees, takes it pretty well. <laughs> uh, gets, runs away and is like, hmm? I'd be traumatized. Like any man or woman, if you like, look, first off, rape, if, like, if we're being serious, rape is like horrendous. Yeah. Um, but by a tree, like I would have the most, like the biggest, like I, I have the biggest existential crisis of my life would be like, did I really just, the tree really just come to life and penetrate me? No. Did it? No. <laughs> I'd, I'd, I'd never go camping again. I'd, I'd never leave outside. I'd become an agoraphobe very quickly. But she like, just kind of, like, she shrugs it off and is like, hey, we got to get out of here. Hey, we got to get out of here. Just got raped by a tree. We got to go. Uh, let's grab the video games. Wait, hold on, Cheryl. Let's back this up. Back it up. I'm just gonna go past this. Did you just say raped by a tree? Yeah, but still, we need to get out of here. All she tells him is the trees are alive. She doesn't say why. She doesn't say what they did. But you know what you did. She looks out there. You know what you did. You know what you did. I'm just picturing her like pointing out, like there's like a bunch of trees in a police lineup, and she she's like, "It was that one, officer. That's the tree." <laughs> Show me on the teddy bear with the cutie uh, touched you. This is fucked. This is a fucked conversation. <laughs> anyway, tree rape. We talked about it. Moving on. Tree rape. Uh, I think for me, one of the most horrifying moments is when they realize the bridge has been destroyed. 
because that really shows the power of these things and how fucked they are. Like they're trapped. Yeah. And I like that. I like no. I like what the moments in a horror movie when you find out there is no way out. Yeah. To me, yeah. No, that's definitely a part where like I feel like the movie just punches you in the gut. Like, well, they can still take the bridge and they're fine. And then it shows you that, and it's just like, no, they are stuck. Yep. <clears throat> like they have to get through this somehow. Um, for me, the scene that actually kind of still gets me and it's creepiness. And that's just because I think, like, the demon noises are actually, like, really creepy in this series. Like, Sam Raimi really, like, to me, has made some creepy-ass demons. Is when they get back, and they're just trying to pass time, act like nothing's going on, just wait till morning, and they're playing cards. And she, and I think it's Cheryl's, like, just standing out the window, and she starts naming the cards exactly, and it's, like, intensifying, and you're like, what the fuck? And she turns around, she's fucking demonic, like, there's something about like how Sam Raimi films that and the lead up and the build up to that. It is like fucking it's creepy. And it really like again, like I, I put it in my notes. If you weren't like if you were wondering, oh, this is this gonna be humorous, this scene should tell you, or the tree rape should tell you, but the, <laughs> this this should also tell you, like, no, this is not meant for jokes. This is a full-on fucking horror film. Like we are gonna try to horrify you, we we're gonna try to gross you out. Buckle the fuck up. Oh, yeah. And you forget just how, like, unbadass Ash kind of is in the first movie. He's getting thrown into the walls. He's kind of cowering a lot. Like, you forget, you know, it's a complete 180 in Evil Dead 2 where Ash just, like, fucking owns it. <laughs> and I think it's, you know, it's cool to see kind of the roots of the character and, like, I wonder how much of that was planned from the beginning, whether they just couldn't afford it or what was the deal? Yeah, I, I, I'm sure there was a mixture of, like, they probably weren't exactly expecting a sequel out of it. And then, like, once it became a hit, once, you know, Sam Raimi obviously knew what Bruce Campbell was capable of doing on film. And they said, okay, well, for the sequel, you know, especially Sam Raimi, you know, he loves, I remember watching the most recent sequel. And, like, he's, you know, big into, like, comedy. Obviously, he's a big fan of comedy and, like, things like Looney Tunes and stuff like that. And he wanted to incorporate more of that into the movie to begin with. I think he saw in Bruce Campbell, he was able to go there because Bruce Campbell, especially in his youth, obviously was a great physical actor and what he could fucking do. So I think it was just a great mixture of like Sam Raimi's sensibilities, the success of the first film, seeing what Bruce Campbell was able to do all came together perfectly to kind of make even more of the type of film that I think Sam Raimi was, was striving for with the series in Evil Dead 2. Actually, I personally, I think Evil Dead 2 is like, the perfect of the trilogy in the sense that like it feels like what Sam Raimi wanted the most out of the series was personified in the sequel. Yeah, you're probably right. And it is kind of a, you know, it's a natural evolution. You've got straight up horror here. You've got horror with like infused comedy in two, and then you've got straight up comedy in the third one. And I, I like kind of the, the natural progression of things. It's, it's good. Uh, but you got to start somewhere. And in this movie, like it's just balls to the wall once it gets going. Yeah. Um, like, like, like I said, there's, I mean, really, like, like for me, it's like it's the true rape that like really kind of signals you if you were curious on if this would be humorous. Um, unless you laugh at that scene, which I have questions. Um, but like that's really like to me the scene that's like the movie tells you, okay, buckle up. You're in for a ride now. Like, 
It's going to be bloody. It's going to be gory. It's going to be relentless. But somehow you're going to have a good time. (laughs) True. So after Cheryl gets possessed, um, she attacks everyone, and then they end up hurling her into the cellar. Or she pretty much spends the rest of the movie just kind of taunting everybody. And I was that um, the actress who plays Cheryl. I forget her name, even though I just fucking said it. Um, Ellen Sandwise. Was that her? Like the whole time yeah. doing that crazy shit? I believe so. I don't think Ted Raimi was utilized until the sequel. Well, I know that Ted was like uh, film, like production money ran out about halfway through filming and they had to kind of um, a lot of people had left and they had to finish this thing with what Sam Raimi calls shimps, which are just kind of his name for, you know, extras. Mm-hmm. And Ted was one of those extras. So at some point it is Ted and a couple other people, but I wonder how much of it was Ted, how much of it was Ellen Sandwest. Yeah. It's not saying here. I'm like, I, I just put up the Wikipedia real quick. It's not specifying but I'm sure a good chunk of it was her. There's no like the low budget roots. A good chunk was probably her, and a good chunk was probably Ted, because obviously he would be free because they're brothers. Yeah. <laughs> well, still, either way, she's great. Um, so Ash finds out on the tape that the only way to kill these things are to dismember the corpses, dismember the bodies, which is weird because that never actually fucking works in any of these movies. <laughs> no, if anything, it's a perfect excuse to let the blood like fly like it's really just a perfect excuse to get as gory as possible and get creative because you have to fucking hack them away limb from limb yeah uh cheryl stabs uh linda in the ankle with a pencil starting one of the uh ongoing series gags of you think it's dead you get close to it it gets up and it stabs somebody (laughs) my favorite was in part three when ash is like oh no no i'm not falling for it this time (laughs) he says like get an axe (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they fuck up the witch. Yeah. <laughs> ah, good stuff. Um, so everyone's like, what the fuck do we do now? Uh, Shelly goes to her room. A demon crashes through, gets her. She attacks Axe. I mean, um, Scott with an... I don't know why I said Axe. <laughs> axe with an Axe. Yep. She goes after Scott. Uh, she, she ends up in the fucking Scott. And she attacks. Was... She straight up grabs Scott and attacks an axe with it. It's crazy. <laughs> that would be fucking awesome though. If she just picked him up and started. Uh, never mind. <laughs> so somehow Shelly ends up in the fireplace and gets burned up a little bit, and that's that's pretty cool. What you know with the makeup effects and everything. And it really is for such a small budget. He really did pull this off in a memorable way. Yeah. Yeah, like I said, a lot of these effects work. Like I, I still like watching it again there a day, man. That scene where he gets that pencil, it still looked painful as fuck to me. They still <laughs> cramped a little bit. I was like, oh god, yeah, that just looks like it hurts. Oh yeah. Uh, Scott takes an axe, fucks Shelly up, cuts her up actually very easily for him. There was like no hesitation. Sounds like he's been he's been wanting to do this. Like that might have been his plan for coming up here, and then the deadites just allowed it to go more smoothly for him. Then back to because he got possessed and died nonetheless. Yeah. But he and Ash go bury Shelly and Ash is like, what, what are we going to do, man? Like he's, he's panicking a little bit. And Scott's like, we're, we're going to leave. And he's like, but 
you know, uh, Linda can't walk. And he's like, well, we'll fucking leave her here. <laughs> and it's just like, no, man. And he's like, it's your girlfriend. You figure it out. And he takes off. <laughs> like, what a Dude. great friend. <laughs> yeah. It, again, like I said, like you point out, you're not, this is not heroic Ash. Not that, like, if we're being honest, like, the, one of the things we like about Ash is he really isn't heroic. He just kind of, like, he never wants to be in these situations. He just kind of deals with it. Um, but more so than usual, like, you really, like you said, you see him cower. You see him be like, no, nope, man, I'm out, and, like, try to run off. Like, yeah. It, yeah, it's really, like, especially, like, if you're ever trying to get someone that, like, if they've heard of people dead all their fucking life and they've heard about this character, you got to prep them like, look, in this first movie, it's not what you, it's going to not be at all what you heard. It's not the Ash character expecting that's the sequel, but this is where it starts. So it's definitely like to a point where it's almost like you have to prime people like this is the what movie this is, not what you've probably heard all your life. I do want to point out here that um, I'm reading now. Sam Raimi was the voice of the demons. Damn, you did a good job because they're creepy. Yeah, well done. Ah, oh, uh, so Linda's possessed now. Has that creepy moment where she sings like, "We're gonna get you," which is great. I love that. So creepy. The, the remake did a great job uh, emulating that. By the way. Oh, I I could talk about all day about like all the greatness that that remake did. So. Well, now that we've covered this one, you know that one's now on the table for future episodes. Yes. <laughs> um. So he stabs Linda with the dagger, this Sumerian dagger they found in the basement. I love that this archaeologist dude just like brought all of his random findings to some Michigan cabin alone instead of like to a museum or something. And then just, oh, whatever. <laughs> Are you uh, saying he's a shitty archaeologist? I feel like that's what you're saying. I mean, when you find something of this magnitude, aren't you supposed to like share it with the like you know, educational public or something, not just go hide it in a mountain. You, I mean, think- he didn't even know what it did yet. I, you would think, you would think. I mean, at least in part two, it's like, oh yeah, his wife turned into a monster and he had to put her somewhere. Makes sense. But this one, he's just like, no one else is going to know about this until I'm fucking ready. <laughs> Uh, Let's see if they my tape, and then they're all gonna know about it. So Ash stabs Cheryl, but he can't. He can't cut her up, and that seems, you know, a nice tease for what's to come. For you know, if you watch the franchise backwards, you know, Ash get a chainsaw for the first time. Oh yeah, I was like, "What are you going with this?" Okay, yeah, yeah. But he's like, "I can't do it." I, amazingly, I can't just carve my fucking girlfriend up <laughs> and be okay with it, Scott. Yeah, Scott. <laughs> so he buries her and then she gets up and attacks him and then he decapitates her with a shovel and like blood pours out of the, of the neck wound and covers Bruce Campbell for about two minutes. But it's it's fine. I, 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 I get it. <laughs> a lot of blood. That was a lot of blood to his face and then he just gone. But hey, fuck it. <laughs> ah, back inside. Cheryl's gone. She broke the lock on the cellar and now she's running around somewhere. Uh, Ash gets a hold of a, sh- a shotgun 
or as he would later call it, a boomstick. And boomstick. I had that little bit of dialogue, like his speech to the uh, primitive screwheads on my iPod for a long time, just because it was fucking hilarious. His description of the shotgun <laughs> and his threats. <laughs> Beautiful. He remembers like, there's shells in here somewhere. Where did I see shells? And he's like, ah, fuck the basement. <laughs> he goes oh, down. Yeah. To the, yeah, it's great. He goes down to the basement, finds that bloody tube and just gets blood, gets showered in blood again. <laughs> Ugh. Um, yeah, this is like the point where like he, the beginnings to me of like, the Ash begin the sequel where he just keeps getting showered in something. In this case, it's blood, and it's a lot of blood. Oh yeah, he gets out of the cellar and is attacked by Deadite Cheryl and Deadite Scott, and uh, manages to hurl the book, the Natorum de Monto, as it's called in the first movie, into the fireplace after using the little uh, necklace to try to get a hold of it. I was like, there's no way you were ever going to pull that off. But he did. <laughs> it's, it's amazing in movies because I've, I've done this in life just to see when I throw something like that to try to re- grab something, it doesn't work. But movies, it works all the fucking time. It's protagonist power. They can do anything. <laughs> uh, he burns the book. And all the deadites collapse into a beautifully animated stop motion death sequence that is still fantastic. Yeah, I put it down my notes. I'm like, you know, like, I, you know, I know there's gonna be people like, just how I know people are like, they probably will look down on that scene, like, and eh, it looks shitty. Fuck off. Like, that to me, it still looks good. Like, that stop motion looks good. Cause I would argue that, like, if they had, if they didn't have the budget, and this is okay. That's what I'm getting at. Like, so many times people, when it comes to the whole CGI versus practical thing, if you have the money to do CGI and your story demands it, go ahead. Obviously, look at you can pinpoint every fucking MCU film that's come out. It, they look good. They got the money. Their stories do require it sometimes with what they're telling. But something like this, you don't have the budget. Practical is going to be your best friend because it's, it's going to age better. It's going to look better. And but right here, stop motion. To me, the stop motion, like you said, it still looks amazing. Yeah, it does. It look, I mean, considering he had three hundred seventy-five thousand to work with, this looks really good for nine, you know, like for nineteen eighty-one, but also today. I mean, a few episodes back on uh, the sneak preview, we talked about our worst remakes list, and you had brought up the thing, and how the thing's remake is reliant on on digital on CGI and how it, it cheapens the, the product. It, it doesn't you know, hold a candle to something that was made in 1982. That still looks incredible. And thankfully you don't really have the comparison because evil dead, the remake also relied on practical effects, which is yeah, good. And it looks like the new ones relying on it too. There you go. So like evil dead is just like, it's great. It's, they're doing such a great job. They've never faltered. It's, it's, it's weird. It's like the one horror franchise that has no weak links. Yeah, well, and again, that has a lot to do with, like, again, 
Campbell, Creamy, and Tapper being adamant with these filmmakers they bring in the new movie. That's like you you need to make it like practical. Like that's it's going to look good that way. You're going to get the best possible result because you're not making a big budget movie. You're making a, a low budget horror film. Yeah, get the right people who know what they want and what we want. Um, so Ash burns the book. They all die, and it looks like there's peace on earth and good world toward goodwill towards men. And then something flies out of the fog through the cabin and into Ash's face. And that's the end of the movie. And there is a way to seamlessly cut together Evil Dead 1, 2, and 3 as one coherent film. And I mean, I personally, look, I'm going to say right now, I've always thought Evil Dead 1 and 2 are coherent. I feel like people harp way too much on, is it a remake and stuff? Like, yes, I get it. Like, the char- there's not the same characters in the game in the film that were on the first one. I don't give a shit. I just ignore it. Get my quick recap of what happened, but obviously some changes, and then go into the sequel. Like, who gives a fuck? Stop harping on it so much. True, but if you do have a bug up your ass about it, I got it. You can cut these three together as one film. You can stop. You can start watching Evil Dead Two as soon as Ash is flung across the woods by the demon entity, and then you can start watching Army of Darkness as soon as he ends up in the Middle Ages, and it's one film. Mm. it's pretty cool I did want to I forgot to mention it um, earlier so I was like got like fucking 20 messages on my phone at the time that's why I was looking down a lot um, um, during like and it's it kind of actually makes sense with this scene but like one another thing I like with uh, Raimi when it comes to these films and he did it there was a scene I think it was in Ibuda 2 when he's like running around the house and things chasing him I love how Raimi films chase scenes in this series because to me I've never been more on the edge of my seat than how he does it because it always makes it so fucking close and I'm, I'm thinking specifically the scene when he has to close the front door real quick because the demon's coming through and you see Ash trying to close it and he keeps cutting to the demon and he makes a point to show you how close that fucking thing is getting as Ash is still closing the door and it's just like close the fucking door close the fucking door like <laughs> To the point where the hand gets through just enough, you know, like, ah, like, and then you know, he has to rush in the back door. But I just, I, and then like this scene, how you see it just bust through the fucking door and stuff. Like, Raimi makes some to me, like, I've never seen such an intense, like, chase scene in a horror film like I have with Evil Dead when Sam Raimi's directing. Yeah, very true, very accurate. And he pulls that off in, you know, two and three as well. My favorite one is in three when he's in the woods. And ends up in the windmill and like the things like pounding on the door and he's like screaming. <laughs> oh yeah. I still think my favorite's in two when he's running to the house and that thing is just falling him. It's like like right there on him as he's like trying to close doors and get through. Oh my god, it's awesome. Yeah, those are awesome. Here are some film guys and facts for the evil dead. I've got quite a bit here. There's some really cool trivia about this movie. Number one, Sam Raimi originally wanted to call the film Book of the Dead. But producer Irvin Shapiro changed the title to The Evil Dead for fear that kids would be turned off seeing a movie with a literary reference. They were like, what? It's about a book? Fuck that. They thought that was going to happen. And they might have been right. (laughs) Okay. That's funny. I love the idea that like you can see this awesome trailer for a freaky looking horror movie and they're like, Book of the Dead? I'm not reading shit and you don't see it. Right? (laughs) Book. Ew. Oh, my God. Um, 
So number two, the film ran out of money and only half of it was completed in the winter of 1980. In order to complete it, Sam Raimi, Rob Tappert, and Bruce Campbell did everything they could to complete the film. They took out high-interest bank loans. They borrowed money from friends and family. They made cold calls to businesses around their hometown state of Michigan. Uh, the cold calls worked. They ended up getting catering, gasoline, other things that the cast and crew needed. They just called people around Michigan. It was like, hey, can you help us support our movie? And a lot of people were like, yeah, sure. Like, that's awesome. Um, number three, in the comic series Marvel Zombies, it is revealed that Ash somehow ends up in a parallel Marvel universe and ends up being the cause of that universe becoming zombified. <laughs> Fuck, yeah. I have that comic. It's Marvel Zombies versus Army of Darkness, and it is fucking awesome. He is constantly hitting on uh, Dazzler and the Scarlet Witch. <laughs> he, it's uh, The Necronomicon is in Doctor Doom's library, and he's like, how did this get here? He's like, well, let me tell you, Metal Man. Like, It's really funny. I mean, look, I know it's a comic, but I'm just saying, like, if it's Elizabeth Olsen Scarlet Witch, I'd be I'd be hitting on her constantly, too. I get but, it. Uh, I really do. I really wish those comics went out of print, like all the versus comics they made. Like, uh, what was it Freddy versus Jason versus Ash? Mm-hmm. And um, that one you're mentioning, like, I hate that they're all out of print. I'm like, just put them back in print. Like, why is it so difficult to get your hands on these? Well, that's why you got to go to the thrift stores, to the used bookstores, and just hope for the best. You know, I found my own copy of Freddy versus Jason versus Ash that way, and I was blown the fuck away. I might look on eBay. I have the eBay app. Maybe if I can, but I'm scared because some people like to fucking hike up prices on there. Yeah. Good luck. But, you know, maybe. (laughs) Um, I'm going to do it. So I'm going to (laughs) multitask. Okay. Number four. During the scene where Ash is about to cut up his girlfriend with a chainsaw, Bruce Campbell actually had to use a real chainsaw and hold it up to her chest. You can see on the close-up of Linda's neck that her pulse is racing. Yeah, <laughs> what the fuck? I would be uh, like, get that away from me. Please get that away from me. But, like, what if he sneezed or, like, dropped it or something? Like, holy shit. God, low budget movies in the 80s. There's no, you know, no rules. God damn. Um, anarchy. <laughs> number five. Despite its controversy and many technical goofs, this is considered to be one of the greatest horror films of all time. Many fans claim it is due to its amount of gore and execution of terror, while critics claim it is due to its consistent reliance on visual storytelling and gripping performances. Enough said. Everyone loves this movie. Uh, of Ramey and Cam- yeah, of course. Ramey and Campbell returned in 1987 with Evil Dead 2, which sort of remakes the first film with a bigger budget. Then Ash and a host of new characters face off with the Deadites. Ash loses a hand, replaces it with a chainsaw, becomes the iconic badass that he would remain. The film ends with him getting sucked into a wormhole, ends up in the Middle Ages, where he prof- like, is fulfilling a Necronomicon prophecy. Uh, and as we said, Evil Dead 2 is a fucking gem. It's, it's wonderful. Oh, that's amazing. Uh, then there was my personal favorite, 1992's Army of Darkness, or Medieval Dead, as Raimi wanted to call it, but due to studio restrictions, he could not. Uh, Ash ends up in the Middle Ages, where he leads an army of knights and wise men against a deadite army led by his evil dead doppelganger. 
uh, Campbell Plate and does double duty in this film playing Ash and Bad Ash, <laughs> uh, which I don't think he gets enough credit for. He fucking excelled playing Bad Ash. Oh, yeah. Well, I think we're getting him that in the video game as well. Oh, we're getting like, the Kandarian demon or whatever, like the bad evil Ash. I would have to wait a number. Pretty sure we're getting him in the video game. I remember him in the in the trailer. Yeah, we are. Yeah. Sweet. Army of Darkness is one of my all-time favorite movies. It's in my top 10. It's it's a masterpiece. It is so funny. It's it's creepy. It's gory. It's a great moment where Bruce Campbell tells some evil guy, get the fuck out of my face. There's, there's just so much to love about that movie. Oh, boy. And you can watch the theatrical cut or the director's cut. They're both good. I prefer the director's cut film, but the theatrical ending where... You know, Ash is back in S-Mart and fucks up oh, the, the lady. Yeah. So, ma'am, I'm going to have to ask okay, you to leave the score. Yeah. The uh, director's cut ending involves Ash yet again fucking up the wise man's orders, ends up like 200 years past where he was supposed to end up in his present. He ends up in the distant future, <laughs> which is just great. He's not your, you know, he's not the hero you want, but he's the one you got. <laughs> he's not even the one you need. It's literally just the one you got. Yeah. He showed up, didn't he? <laughs> like that's that should be Ash's sketch phrase. Like, I'm here, right? <laughs> that really yeah. Like, I mean, what what one do you guys want? I'm here. I'm here to do whatever you need me to do. It's like, no, Ash, no, no you're just here. <laughs> God. Um Evil Dead was remade in 2013 by Fede Alvarez. Jane Levy stars as Mia, a recovering drug addict who's brought to the cabin by her friends to get her clean. While there, they find the Necronomicon, accidentally unleash hell. It's a pretty good remake, and most, fan, uh, most fans found it to be, at the very least, acceptable. Which is awesome, because I know we talked about it already. I talked about Ad Nauseam when we did our top 10 countdown. That movie had so much going against it. Like The fans were rallying actively to hate that movie, and yet... When it came out, it was like fucking 180. All the fans were like, no, okay, we were wrong. We could have been a little hasty here. This is a pretty good fucking movie. And it still blows my mind that Fetty Hours just hasn't wanted to do it. Like, he apparently was given the okay to do a sequel and just won't do it. When he asked that fucking question, what do you guys want to see a sequel out of? And everyone said, it would have tuned. He went, cool, don't breathe too. Buckle up. Reminded me of that South Park episode where all the immigrants from the future show up and Stan's trying to get a burger. The guy's like, chicken sandwich? He's like, no, I want a burger. He's like, let me get my manager. And the manager's like, chicken sandwich? <laughs> That's, that comes to mind every time I hear about that. <laughs> um, then there was the short-lived but epic stars series Ash versus Evil Dead, which ran for three seasons before its abrupt cancellation in 2018. Campbell returns as Ash decades after defeating the Deadites. One night, Ash gets really high and accidentally reads from the book and now must put the evil dead back in the bottle. I love that this time it's his fault. Like he straight up gets high, reads from the book, and the world is gone. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. <laughs> oh, he also, it's fantastic. Not, not necessarily a broke cancellation. If people was just watched it on legally and not pirated it probably had got gone a little bit longer so yeah what a shame because clearly they had a they had planned plans for more the the ending of three hints at a badass fourth season that we're never going to get 
Mm. And fucking, we could have had, you know, Evil Dead Mad Max. (laughs) Awesome. Um, In the show, Ash learns he may be a mythical prophesized hero called El Jefe. And he has a team of deadite killers and his value stop co-workers, Kelly and Pablo, who were all great. Like, it was a great cast. Lucy Lawless played a, like, the, like one of the – she had a significant demon p- connection. I think she wrote the book or something. I don't remember what it was. It's been a bit. I don't remember. But, yeah, she had a connection. I just – I would have to rewatch or look it up real quick to remember. There's a whole <laughs> bit where they actually time travel back to Evil Dead 2 and fight Henrietta again, which is crazy. It was, it was a cool show. Yeah, it's really awesome show. Small Reaving popped up, like a free famous Small Reaving. She was one of the, I think the the campers or whatever in the first season. <laughs> cool. Yeah, like towards the end, they're going like the camps are going towards the cabin. Yeah, I didn't even know that at some point. I looked and was like, oh my god, holy shit! Yeah, free uh, free famous Small Reaving. I love the Ash had one of my favorite lines in the first season after he like fights, he fights Deadites again for the first time in like thirty years. And he's like, I gotta, sw- I gotta slow down. My heart's jackhammering faster than a quarterback on prom night. <laughs> ah, perfect. Um, we're supposed to get a new one this year, Evil Dead Rise. Uh, no, no concrete release date yet, but uh, it's supposed to happen this year. Uh, it's, it's looking good for this year. They they wrapped filming already. They're in post, so like it's it's on track. So for this year, good. Ramy and Campbell are producing it. Uh. The cast is going to be new people. Uh, Ash will not appear. And uh, it's supposed to take place in the city, in like an office building. Yes. So that's new. Yeah. Well, so uh, I, I, I forgot to mention it earlier, but I'll say it now because it's actually kind of perfect. Uh, when they asked like about that change of location, Bruce Campbell, he said like, he thinks the best way for the series to move forward and continue is the book itself being like the character. He's like, you know, and I get it because, you know, they're going to get older and they're going to, not be able to do this anymore so he goes you know for, for him he's like the the thing linking all this care is the book what does the book do when we're not looking where does it go like he's like that that's really like the way we can keep this franchise moving because that's the biggest thing outside of you know obviously these characters is what does that book do what's going on with the book so it's not saying we're necessarily going to get answers but like that's a good way to get it to where like this book is somehow finding ways in other areas to cause havoc in the you know in this evil dead universe so it's yeah that makes sense good good through line there yeah i'm 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 excited about this i'm sure this will be really fun and uh give us an excuse to do evil dead 2 sooner than we might have planned oh, yeah, I'm okay with that. <laughs> yeah. uh i'd be remiss if i didn't bring up the four video games that campbell has voiced ash in there was evil dead hail to the king evil dead a fistful of boomstick Evil Dead Regeneration, and the upcoming Evil Dead the Game. Uh, Hail to the King was on PC. I tried to play it. I didn't have a graphics card powerful enough at the time. I gave up. Um, Fistful of Boomstick is a fucking gem. One of the best games I've ever played in my life. I had it on PlayStation 2. I still have it. Uh, In this game, Ash is back in Dearborn, Michigan, after the events of all three movies, and it's just kind of, you know, one-handed at his bar, you know, dealing with life. And Dr. Noby's successor, a guy named Eldridge, has gotten a hold of the Necronomicon tapes and plays them live on the air on a radio show. And 
all hell breaks loose in his town. And now Ash has to, you know, has a call to action, starts fighting deadites in his town. You end up getting, uh, getting sucked into wormholes. You go back to the Civil War, uh, meet his ancestor, who's a blacksmith who makes you a Gatlin gun. Like, it's a fun game. It's, it's great. Uh, so check that one out if you can ever find it. it. Took me forever to track it down. Okay. And then regeneration is fun. The gameplay is not great, but the story is really good. Uh, you team up with a half deadite, half human dwarf named Sam, <laughs> uh, played by Ted Raimi, and uh, some doctor manages to connect science with the with the book and makes himself a god. And you have to find a way through this hellscape to destroy him. And it's it's fun, but Boomstick was better. Okay. Speaking of which, I got in the eBay app is probably like the best thing I did because uh it's on eBay for anyone wondering. There's tons of free owned copies on eBay. Right now the highest I'm seeing is like 35 bucks, like the highest price one. That's pretty good. Yeah. So I mean, well, I lied, some jackass is trying to do it fucking almost three hundred bucks. Because it's factory sealed so don't don't do that jackasses just do the ones that are offering it for reasonable prices um yes or do like me and buy it years ago well you can't do that i did i mean that's the xbox just playstation 2 how would you lie to me here we go (laughs) i felt so lied to in that moment (laughs) But uh, yeah, if anyone's wondering, it's uh you got plenty of copies of people selling on eBay. If you still have a PlayStation Two, or hit up those retro video game stores. Sometimes uh they got hidden gems yeah. in there. I found my copy uh at half price books like five years ago. I was so happy, and I do still have a PS Two. I know, but uh, in retro, I know retro video game stores that you can get a PS Two at easy. Mm-hmm. So. So I give The Evil Dead an eight. It's a solid horror movie that still holds up. And I just, I like two and three a lot more. For me, it's, you know, Evil Dead one, eight, Evil Dead two, nine, Army Darkness, 10. I'm going to give this one a nine. Um, I really, I really actually do like the serious tone. And like I said, it holds up so well. And it's, again, I'll say it again since I'm wrapping it up. It's, I know I've said it a thousand times, but it's like very much like to me the gold standard, what you can do on low budget. And just the 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 drive, the will to want to make a movie, and just the yeah, um, this movie is damn near flawless to me. I, I love this film. Yeah, nothing wrong with that. Straight up, this is it's great. Thanks for listening, everybody. I uh, hope you enjoyed this. If you like what we do, you can always follow us on the socials. We're at Filmgasm Productions. You can suggest films uh, for us to check out. Give us feedback. If you hate the show, you can tell us. Uh, you can email us at filmgasm at gmail.com or just send us a message to the socials or you can check out the website, uh, filmgasm.com. If you want to support the show, you can always uh, click on support this podcast, send us some green or not, whatever you want to do. That is all for 2021. It's been a fun year for the show. We launched a sneak preview. Uh, we brought Caleb on for good. Uh, we covered some awesome movies, covered some shit. Uh, it's been an interesting year. Off the top of my head, like I don't fucking know. We had so many. I remember St. Maud was a disappointment, but Jurassic Park was really fun. Like we've it's been an interesting year of films. It has. I like how you said we brought him on permanently. Like, yes, the co-hosts 
Oh, not the co-star. The co-founder of Filmgasm finally was able to get on this damn show. Yeah. Welcome. <laughs> um, next There's year, we're going to be... Do it. I just had to wait for a deployment to end. That, that, that's all that really happened. Well, now we're, now we're all here. Yes. <laughs> next year, we're going to be launching our newest show, Beyond the Bad, which will cover the, more, the worst reviewed films of all time. Can't wait for that. Uh, we talked at length about that a few episodes ago. It's going to be um, every Friday going forward. Also, we're looking forward to discussing some all-time classics and bringing more weird shit to the table. Filmgasm is not going to change all that much apart from content. We've got some special guest hosts lined up throughout the year. We're looking forward to tightening the screws and just continuing to do our best to make all four of our shows as great as possible. Going to keep doing horror and other genre flicks, but we're also going to add more westerns, more comedies, all sorts of weird shit. This show is going to just keep evolving into kind of covering the most content of all of our stuff. Uh, very much looking forward to that, especially comedies. That'll be fun. We don't talk about comedies a lot. Yeah, looking forward to I'm just looking forward to it. It'll be our plan for 2022 with being on the bed and um, like I said, incorporating other stuff in the film, guys. I'm kind of opening up that umbrella, um, especially comedies, because like I'm obviously, you know, there's some comedies I like to revisit. Have a good of reason to revisit, um, and continuing the journey of me trying to find horror films that I really would like you to watch that I've seen. I know my pick for next month is a personal favorite of mine that I'm really excited to have you watch, and you will break my heart so much if you don't like it. But see, it's that pressure that that I don't care for. <laughs> Well, just don't break my heart, okay? Just like the movie. I think you'll like this one. It's a really fun movie. It's 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 a fun horror film. Um, I don't know anyone who has yet to tell me they don't like it. It's just when it's one of those movies. Just amping, just amping it up, just making me putting me all the way to that top of the roller coaster, so my ass just goes straight down. God oh, yeah, yeah. I need you to feel bad when you're an asshole and you say you hate it. Um. <laughs> my God. <laughs> I don't now I don't even want to fucking watch it. Now I'm now I'm nervous. <laughs> um, but no, yeah, I'm 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 genuinely excited. Um especially uh ever since the move I got a little bit more extra shelf space with my new shelf. So there's new movies in my collection that I, I look at every day thinking, I wanna have him watch this one. I want to tackle this one next. There's so little I can show you because that's just how it is. So I just pick shit that I want to watch. Oh boy. So I watch a lot. Of it. I know. Uh, so it's been an interesting year. I'm very proud of my team and the work we've produced thus far. I wouldn't want to do this with anybody else. A special thanks to Austin Johnson, Josh Allred, and of course, Caleb Leger for believing in this thing as much as I do. Like, seriously, this is the best part of my week doing this with you guys. Yeah. You know, special thanks to me. Uh, I work really hard for this. Uh, I am only going to thank myself. No, I'm kidding. Um, who else can you know surf eBay in the middle of an episode? Who else could do that? <laughs> uh, no one, that's what I'm here for. <laughs> oh boy, next week we begin a new year. What better way to start out 2022 than with an 80s horror sci fi comedy about killer clowns from outer space, appropriately titled Killer Clowns from Outer Space? The plot is exactly what it sounds like. Good segue uh, there. 
<laughs> Aliens disguised as clowns descend upon the town of Crescent Cove and fuck shit up. This one is a random pick from the Book of Filmgasm, our endless source of potential episodes. Uh, starting a new cycle is sure to be a weird, goofy way to start a whole new year of podcasts. And I actually have seen this before. So not going in blind. No, you, you beat me on this one. I haven't haven't I haven't not seen this one yet. And I'm actually I'm sure Josh is probably gonna want to do the episode because I know how much he loves the movie. I'm cool with that, but I'm it's gonna be one of those cases where I watch it with him because I've been dying to see this fucking movie. I remember when I did the pick and I sent it to you guys, he sent back a video of him like playing with a fucking toy from the from the movie. He he has a con candy gun, like a, a replica. <laughs> his uh his daughter shot me with it earlier. I got turned to con candy. Yeah, I love when I the recovered. book I recovered quickly for the show, guys. Don't worry. Oh, good. I was I was concerned. Because you look a little like cotton candy right now. I was gonna say something. Yeah, no, I I, I recovered. Okay. I, I love when the book gives us a movie that just happens to be like a favorite of one of ours. And that's happened a couple times, mostly Josh. <laughs> but yeah, he yeah. has to do it for me, but it's fine. <laughs> well, that's why we keep picking. Because you never know. Uh, don't miss the beloved rom-com When Harry Met Sally on Oscar Sunday, our top 10 films of 2021 on Monday's sneak preview, and the very first episode of Beyond the Bad on Friday, where we'll be discussing the much-reviled Batman and Robin. Not this Friday, next Friday. 2022, because I forgot. This comes out still middle of the, of the last week of the year. Eh, fuck it. When it's out, watch it or listen to it. Next Friday. Next Friday. Batman and Robin, Beyond the Bed. Until then, if you find an ancient Sumerian text in the basement of a cabin in the woods, maybe leave it unless you want to kill all your friends. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Keep watching movies. Here's to a great year. Batman.